Hello and welcome to the Journey to the Heart podcast. My name is Torn Lokes. I'm a singer-songwriter from the Yukon Territory, Canada, and my current mission is to paddle a canoe across America from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean while learning more about what happiness, community, connection, self-empowerment, as well as finding and living your passions and dreams means to different people I meet along the way. All right, an update on my journey so far. After an extended visit in the beautiful town of St. Helens, Oregon, I ended up having to switch gears due to excessive flooding and debris and bicycled 75 miles through Portland to the town of Cascade Locks, just above the Bonneville Dam. This ultimately ended up being a blessing in disguise as I was able to explore Portland, Oregon much more extensively on a bicycle, as well as riding high up on the bluffs overlooking the beginnings of the Columbia River Gorge. This will be the next chapter of paddling after weeks on the tidal Lower River. The people on this journey so far have been amazing. I was fortunate to have made some incredible friends in St. Helens who lent me a bicycle for my portage and helped me with the portage of my canoe to the Cascade Locks Marina. From here I started paddling again towards Hood River through the Columbia River Gorge, which is one of the most consistently windy places in the world and is known for its world-class kiteboarding and windsport activities. Due to excessive winds, I have to be very careful in an open expedition canoe how and when I'm out on the water, but fortunately westerly winds often significantly help me with paddling, along with my canoe kite, which has been remarkable, and how much speed I can attain in the right conditions. The following is a conversation with Daniel Katz, a world traveler, source to sea paddling adventurer, and the founder of an NGO called Rivers for Change, which enhances the medium of source to sea river adventures to advocate for wilderness conservation and ecosystem revitalization efforts. I met her and the crew of kayakers she has been supporting in Hood River. They have made their way paddling from the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho and plan to end their journey where I began mine, the mouth of the Columbia River. It was amazing to meet these kindred souls and have an in-depth talk with Danielle about her origins, source to sea adventures, conservation, and perspectives on life. Hope you enjoy and see you all back on the River Road. Hey, Danielle. Hey, how's it going, Dor? Good, how are you? I'm good. It's a rainy afternoon here in, uh, where are we, Hood River? <laughs> <laughs> when you're traveling all the time, it, it takes a second to touch base. It does. Yeah, it does. and so uh, tell me a bit more about yourself. Yeah, so I am the co-founder and director of Rivers for Change, which is a river conservation nonprofit that uses adventure as a catalyst for conservation, um, particularly using source to sea adventures for conservation and education. And um, I've done a lot of source to seas before, and I'm in the midst of managing one of the biggest ones yet. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess the listeners might want to know how we met. Um, we have a, both have a close mutual friend that um, I found out that there's this group of paddlers going down the river while I'm paddling up. And uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible just to be here 4th of July. and We are at a convergence. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, tell me a bit more about this um this source to sea adventure that's happening right now. So you, your group is paddling from 
uh, is it the big the Salmon River? Yeah, the Salmon River. Um, they started April 29th up in central Idaho, skiing into the headwaters of the Middle Fork of the Salmon. Actually, the Mar- Marsh Creek, which flows into the Middle Fork of the Salmon, traveled down and then came back around, skied the headwaters of the Salmon River down to the lower, down to the confluence of the Snake River, um, then paddled the lower Snake River and then into the Columbia. And now we're on our way out to Astoria, which is where you started your journey. Well, it's pretty amazing because I'm about to do the whole route that they came down from. So it's pretty good intel. Yes. Yeah. We can (laughs) share information, which I love and something, yeah, these stories to see adventures, I feel like there's... They're becoming more and more common, whether you're going upstream or downstream, but like there's so much beta out there to share with fellow fellow travelers, and it's, it's just great to meet along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell me a bit more about uh, your adventures. What was the catalyst for diving into this world? Yeah, so I actually grew up um, on rivers. I always say my first like opening into... The conservation world was I was taken down the Stanislaus River in California when I was four months old for a short section. My mom hiked me down and floated. And I did that section of the river um, right before it was dammed. And that section that we floated um, was flooded, basically, underwater. So I feel like my conservation started very, very early. Infused. Infused into my being, so to speak, um, on some level. And then, yeah, I grew up, um, my dad owned a small whitewater rafting company, so I just grew up spending the summers um, on the rivers in Oregon and California, and then became a raft guide um, on, yeah, the Rogue River, the Klamath, and then up in Alaska on the Tatanchini Alsac. Um, so rivers were just always one of one of my many loves, but um, one, of, one of the big ones. Um, and uh, it's relatable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, once they hook you... <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to let them go. And then um, my perspective, though, around rivers really changed when I did uh, Source to Sea down the Mississippi in 2009. So, you know, growing up on rivers, doing sections of rivers, I mean, even if they're four days or 11 day sort of wilderness trips, you're still just doing a section of a river. and, And you have this like basic understanding and concept around like, Oh, a river starts in the mountains and it ends in the ocean. And there's a, downstream. there's a water cycle in there somewhere and these drops of water flow. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I like personally viscerally experienced that and experienced the change um, of a river basically going down the length of the Mississippi. I kind of, it just blew open sort of this holistic view of just how interconnected we are by these drops of water and how interdependent we are. And so how often we as individuals just don't think of the communities that are upstream from us or downstream from us um, and how disconnected we are to that Um, and how disconnected we often are to the river or the water source that's in our backyard. Um, Yeah, so very true. And it's, uh, and so you were talking, it's interesting because I've also canoed the Mississippi source to sea um, a few years later, about five years later than you did. Um, and what was your experience on that trip that was uh, like that vaulted you into NGO work? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, 
you know, when you're paddling for three and a half months, you have a lot of time to think. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I think just observing, like really just observing how amazing this river is. Like the Mississippi, especially, it's like, you know, it's the fourth longest river in the world. It is a working river. It has been changed and adapted by mankind in so many ways, for better or for worse. Um, And... And just to start thinking of like, oh, I'm paddling through Iowa and the, the runoff from, you know, the agriculture here, um, you know, from pig farmers is actually one of the contributing factors to why there's a dead zone down in the Gulf of Mexico and no life form can actually live, you know, down there in those waters because there's no oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then working on that trip, it, the mission of that trip was really, it was very broad. It was like, let's raise awareness about the world water crisis on like a local, national and international le- level. Um, so reaching out to other nonprofits who were working on that river and doing amazing, incredible work in like, you know, communities or specific sections of rivers. Their local area. Their local area. But again, sort of missing this disconnect between, um, you know, thinking of really what's happening upstream and what's downstream and that's changed a lot in the last decade since I did that trip which is really cool and then just seeing like how enraptured people get by an adventure story right like adventure is sexy it's exciting it's like people want to know what you're up to yeah and so like how can you use that as the hook to then connect people to these rivers and to start making them care about the issues ecosystems Um, conservation yeah. yeah the issues that these rivers are facing, um, you know, and, and learn more and use it as, as a form to, to educate and, and for people to potentially get, you know, more involved or take action. And that's really what this source to see we're doing right now is it's like, it's a call to action, um, around, you know, getting support to breach the four lower snake river dams and restore salmon, um, runs that are on the brink of extinction. Um, wow. Yeah. And it's, uh, and so when you're talking about the salmon runs coming up from the ocean up the Columbia River and then up these tributaries, like mm-hmm. the snake and the salmon, um, just, just to understand better, um, these dams are causing a lot of problems for these fish to be able to reach their, the habitat that they spawn, uh, among many other things. And so what is the... So what is like the, the main issues when it comes to the salmon getting there and, uh, and the effects on the, on the local ecosystems? Yeah, basically um, the stress of going through. So the fish, the, the salmon that need to make it to Idaho have to navigate eight dams. They have to navigate four on the Columbia and four on the Lower Snake River Dam, the Lower Snake. And the four dams on the Lower Snake um, are the ones that are, have been shown scientifically to, you know, be the sort of the detrimental push, like they, that extra stress of navigating, particularly downriver for the smolt as they're on their way to the ocean. Um, they have a very short window of time that they're supposed to make it from their spawning habitat to the ocean. Mm. And that gets elongated when you're trying to navigate through a still, warm um, reservoir, basically, that is backed up behind 
the dam. They can't find the current to find their way down. And then there's also, um, that gives them more time to be eaten by predators. So the survivor, the mortality rate of those smolts going downstream is, is actually one of the biggest impacts for the, the population levels. Wow. And so what's the proposed um, like solution? So the proposed solution is to breach these, these dams, which basically means to you know, open up a channel on the side of the dam. So you're not actually taking the whole dam down, um, but you're providing a passageway with current um, that the river can flow around and then the fish can easily um, navigate upstream and downstream. Um, and I'll actually go back a second and say, back to those scientific levels, is, is the return, say, in the John Day River, which are, is the river that comes in just above the four dams on the Columbia, are like at sustainable levels. But when you look at that additional four dams of the Lower Snake, you know, only four Chinook returned in 2021 to the headwaters in, of the Salmon River. Four. Four. Four fish. Four fish. Four, four, four. Chinook. Wow. And so would this, this breaching, does that, how does that fundamentally change the river system? Yeah, I mean, it really, it allows the river to return to its natural course. I mean, you, you talk to some of the historians we've met along the way and they, they discuss how, wow, like before these dams, there were like 70 rapids through this section. Um, you know, obviously when water hits a dam, it backs up. Um, you know, it creates stagnant, stagnant water, uh, raises the level of the river. Um, so just freeing up that ecosystem and allowing it to restore itself. And, and, you know, there's a growing trend in the U.S. right now towards dam removal on some of these dams that are just defunct. Like we've, we've seen the negative impacts of these dams on the ecosystems. And we're learning that actually if we take these dams out and you look at dam removals on the Elway or the White Salmon and you see like the ecosystem will restore itself. The fish will come back. They just need mm. like a fighting chance to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, that's, that I think is powerful when you, when you have examples of where this has been done already and see the changes that have taken place yeah. and using that as like a model. Yeah. Um, cause like, I guess like, you know, the lower Columbia river dams, they provide a lot of electricity. <laughs> so it might be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. To... It might be challenging to do that, but the, you know, the, the science around the four lower snake river dams is they only provide three to 4% of energy for that, for that area. It's not nothing that really solar and, and wind can't substitute. Um, there's an amazing project by the Nimipu people called Nimipu Energy, and they are working towards um, substituting that, that energy with the solar project. Um, and I highly recommend people go, go look more into that because it's a very cool, like, work, piece of work in progress. Very cool. Yeah. It, well, I feel like also, yeah, 3 to 4%, like, that is something that's well within reach of some form of renewable Just turn energy. off your lights. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like efficiency. Even, like even efficiency. Just moving towards efficiency. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, talking about energy efficiency, like if we could just become a little bit more ener energy efficient within our own human behaviors, right? It's like, turn off, turn off your lights, switch off your devices when, 
um, you're not using them. Unplug, you know, your kettles um, and different devices because those are always charging. And if enough people did that, actually, that that could probably add up to a couple percent. Well, it's that. What interests me too is that that area is, is quite population sparse. So we're talking about maybe a hundred thousand people. You know, know the population level, but maybe yeah. maybe less. Yeah. Like it's it's a very remote area. Yeah, it is. I, I know, I know, because I'm <laughs> heading there. <laughs> yeah, you've done your research. <laughs> yeah, and what was it like for the? What what was it like? So there's so there's four ladies that mm-hmm. are paddling paddling down to Astoria right yeah. now, yeah. and um and perhaps beyond. Yeah. And um and what was their experience coming down that lower snake? Heartbreaking is the best way to describe it. Um, I think when you've been paddling in pristine headwaters and all of a sudden you're hit with a river that feels like it has no life in it and it has no current in it, um, you know, it, it's heartbreaking to, to experience that because you've, you've seen the other side. And I mean, obviously the geography and, and the hills and the temperature and all those things change. Um, but if you're just focusing on like how those drops of water are moving, you know, they're moving very differently um, once they start getting backed up behind behind those dams. Right. I've heard that like the heating as well, like the water heats up, yeah. which makes it very challenging. For yeah, it gets stagnant. Wildlife. And, and then you, you know, you look at um, rivers like um, the Klamath River. Um, which actually is in the process of the largest dam removal in the United States with removing the four dams on the Klamath. And that's been a decades long, um, you know, process to get to that point. But they have these huge algae blooms that happen where the water really actually becomes toxic to all life. And then they get these huge fish kills because um, the fish can't live in, live in them. And it then becomes a, a non-swimmable, drinkable anything water because it's it's toxic oh yeah it's uh i think it's sometimes impressive how human beings we believe that we have this sort of all-powerful approach to managing the natural world when clearly there's so much that we do not understand yeah yeah or things that we did understand and we've like lost touch with you know, I yeah. feel like the return to the knowledge, the return to indigenous knowledge in particular. Um, there's a lot of really neat studies coming out about how um, when indigenous tribes are able to steward the land, the ecosystem is healthier. Um, they are they are because their priorities are focused on like maintaining like the, the ecosystem that is such an integral part of their culture. Yeah. Versus like the you know the consumptive, consumer based approach. Yeah, 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 and <laughs> they understand it's a love. system. You know, <laughs> like every, again, like everything's interconnected, right? Um, and it's just it's it's amazing to see, and I think I think in a time when often we we feel hopeless about some of these efforts to say, oh wow, when when this land is returned and it is stewarded in this way by an indigenous, you know, tribe, it it has a better chance of being a complete ecosystem. Yeah. Um, it's one, know, or, it's definitely one important, important piece of a greater whole of yeah. like good data, good legislation, like yeah. regulation, everything. Climate mitigation. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, and, and I think it's, it's surprising like how, 
it's surprising how slowly things can move, but then it also can be impressive once there's a catalyst, yeah. how quickly things can change. Yeah, yeah, like the tipping point. Yeah. 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 You just need to reach the tipping point. And seeing, and I think that's why it's so important to have those anecdotal examples of like where those changes have occurred because it really does provide that like ability to say, look, it does work. Like we can have a a massive return of salmon and have these ecosystems rejuvenate with very little economic cost and perhaps even an economic boom by making an area livable again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, talking about the like economics of say fishing or the recreational um, economy, like all of those have, the opportunity to expand in in huge ways um, if these if these four dams were breached. No. Oh. And so so what kind of uh, what kind of work has been have the these ladies been doing? They've been doing it as they've gone down the river. A lot of work. Um. And I know you've been very involved in that process as well. Behind the scenes, doing everything. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they. So there's been a lot of events, you know, and I think again this goes back to one of the missions that I co-founded Rivers for Change with was like, how do you connect people to their river and to the issues that are going on? So stopping in towns along the way, doing um, advocacy events. We've partnered as well with Idaho Rivers United, who um, works a lot in this issue with advocacy. And, you know, getting people to write their senators, write postcards. We're in a really critical time um, politically and with legislative um, measures where, you know, this could happen. Um, and we just need to make our voice heard and, and know that our voice matters. And if we can get enough steam, we can bombard enough, you know, offices with postcards and we can get enough people to go online you know, go to salmonsourcetoc.com backslash take action, you know, sign those petitions, put in your comment on um, this Murray Inslee draft report that's out on sort of a Pacific Northwest opportunity, um, you know, to restore these habitats. Like oh. now is the time to do that. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is very inspiring. And to create that kind of momentum, it really does require just like, continuing to roll those balls downstream yeah exactly and really connect with local people yeah and And that's been a huge i mean both it's just wonderful to connect to people along the way as you know um but also to inspire people um to take action you know and and to follow this trip that these women have been on and and be inspired by the journey itself you know and, and the journey they're taking is actually like mirroring the outward migration of these smolts and what's really cool is way upstream in idaho we met a fifth grade class that raises a bunch of salmon in um, their classroom all year and then they release them and so our our paddlers met some of these students talked to them and then they're tracking these salmon downstream and almost at the exact time that our paddlers were walking through the john day dam one of those tagged smolts was had also been um, tagged and tracked going through the John Day Dam. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, those, those uh, synchronicities are really special. They are. And it's, and it's been special, you know, for me coming up the Columbia, just being able to really respect the power of this river. And, you know, and I, and I see lots of salmon and sturgeon and, and realize, like, how important 
and you know that that is not just for my trip but for all the local people like on the lower part of the columbia people everybody's fishing you know yeah. it's uh, even as i was paddling um from uh cascade locks i came up to a dock where there's some uh there was an indigenous family and they had a bunch of salmon and they gave me some smoked salmon and it was really special just to see that connection to the river and the land and and realizing how there is really important things that we can do now exactly. that can not only maintain what we have but restore so much of what's being lost yeah. and uh, I think no no pun intended going to those upstream effects is is uh, it's really powerful because there's it's so it can be so difficult sometimes and this can relate to life as well yeah. you know where we have all these challenges and all these all, there's all these problems and trying to know what the upstream causes are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where like taking, being able to like step back to that bird's eye holistic view and be like, Oh, right. Okay. Here is the upstream cause for this downstream thing. Like here are my upstream neighbors. Like how can I care? You know, you even just think it from an empathetic viewpoint, like, can I, can I realize what my impacts are in an upstream way to those downstream? Um, you know, and you think of that, say, even in a generational standpoint, right? In indigenous knowledge, they talk about thinking seven generations ahead. And I think a lot of us have lost track of that. Like, we're all here and now, and I need this now, and I want this now. And, and yeah. we've lost track of what those, the downstream impacts of that is. Yeah, that's so true. That's very true. And so what other, um, you, you said you, you've fallen in love with Sources to Sea Adventures. Yeah. And clearly, like, it's incredible what, what you're doing with, with, this, with this passion that you have. Um, what are some of the other trips that you've done? Yeah, so the Mississippi was sort of the, the jump-off spot. And then I went into um, co-founding Rivers for Change. And in our first year... Um, I had a brilliant idea <laughs> to, uh, to paddle 12 critical California rivers from source to sea in 2012. So That sounds like quite a challenge. Yeah, a little ambitious of being like, I like the numbers, the way they flow. <laughs> um, so we basically set out to partner with 12 different nonprofits in 12 different rivers. Um, sent out, I'm not a class 5 kayaker so we'd send out teams to go in and you know paddle these gnarly class five california rivers and then myself and my co-founder another team would come in you know maybe a little a little lower down from that in class three or two then paddle all these reservoirs that are in california because california water issues is like a whole other beast oh yeah um but again seeing the interconnected you know you talk about the interconnectedness of one river right and following those drops but then you start thinking about how water is moved um, through aqueducts and transferred from one river system into another through various mechanisms and all of a sudden you're like oh it's not just one river it's you know multiple rivers are highly interconnected mm. um, to get people to get people water in in california so learning all of that um tackling that um, yeah, paddling some of those California rivers, um, and also just, you know, being open to being surprised about 
you know, rivers you didn't know existed were kind of in your backyard to all of a sudden, like, discover, like, oh my god, this is, like, three hours from my house and is one of the most beautiful rivers I've been on, and I would never have thought that. That's um, really special. Yeah. Finding those places. Yeah, exactly. And and just knowing, like, you know, anyone can do a source to see, right? You can go in your backyard and you can go find the creek that runs through just your backyard it. and just follow it, right? Just see where it starts and yeah. go see where don't it goes. You don't even have to paddle it. You, you don't have to paddle just... it. You can walk it. You can bike it. You can, you know, yeah. puddle jump through it. <laughs> well, rivers have, have been, a, you know, a very important part of my life growing up as well. And I think we have that commonality where my dad owned a venture canoe guiding company in the Yukon and spending that time out there like there's something about it there's something about being in that flow state where really like it it changes your perception of nature it changes your perception of time like I think uh it uh helps you recognize the power of nature yeah yeah, it's a river a time. Another way. Yeah. yeah, being on river time. I mean, I feel like for me, being on a river is like the ultimate meditative experience because it just drops you into the moment, you know, and it will humble you and it will teach you lesson after lesson, yeah. um, especially if you're not in the moment or, you know, it's, you know, how many times have you been guiding and you're like, your ego comes up and you're like, I got this, no problem, you know, and then you just get smacked down and be like, oh, right, always respect the river. Yeah, yeah, things can change quickly. You could be, like, having just a chill conversation, come around a bend, and there's, like, a big log jam or something. Yeah, whatever it is, you know, the river. Yeah. And and just knowing, you know, I, again, like, I always just go back to, like, the water cycle, but I get so inspired to think that, the drops of water that are traveling from the mountains to the ocean, like, have been around for eons. They're you know? timeless, almost. They're timeless. Like, they have been through ice ages, and, like, what knowledge exists in those... Dinosaurs. Drops of water. Dinosaurs, you know? Like, they they have seen and witnessed so much, yeah. you know? And they've put up with so much of our human crap, and yet Rejuvenate. they keep going you know they just keep cycling through and they keep you know water just yeah it it wants to keep flowing you know yeah Um, yeah that's that's really special i agree and it's been it's been interesting um you know going through the gorge now uh paddling from cascade locks to here uh with my canoe kite just realizing you know water and then wind how fast like I, I had no idea like I pro- how fast I could go with one of those canoe kites like I think I was probably going four or five times maybe six times faster than I would normally just paddling and then coming into the harbor and I've never I didn't know very much about Hood River it's like this wind sport capital mecca so to speak and then I come in and just seeing all these people out kiting and sailing it was really cool yeah yeah it's really special to see how everyone is connecting to the water here, you know, it yeah. is like, it is a Mecca. <laughs> and, and it definitely ties into ecosystems and salmon when it comes to how people, uh, you know, when people fall in love with, with that sport, mm-hmm. then it opens them up to realizing how important it is to 
protect that water, to protect these animals. Yeah, we love, I mean, we protect what we love. Yeah. So if you can, if you can have someone fall in love with a specific ecosystem and then provide them with a little bit of education around what's needed. Yeah. Have you found that with like, um, like hunters and uh, like, I'm sure a lot of fishermen and hunters have been interested in protecting the salmon as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think in the conservation world, you know, we can get so polarized and be like, Hey, we're, you know, we're the liberal hippie dippies who want to save the planet and you know, blah, blah, blah. But I know like within the conservation movement, when those potentially two different political sides can put the politics beside, this isn't a political issue, right? This is like, we all want, you know, future generations to grow up, you know, where there is abundant fish and where there is abundant game and where there are healthy ecosystems and where are, you know, where kids can go out and swim and drink, you know, in, in water, um, and not have to worry about that. Like those values are the same. You can be very aligned in that. And I think so often, yeah, unfortunately in this world we get like very politically polarized around these issues yeah that's true and it's it is it is unfortunate because so often we want the same things but we have a different strategy of getting those things like we want to live in healthy communities where people are loved and safe and you know support one another and connect and and uh live in a beautiful area like we all want that and so you're right. How do we set aside? How do we set aside the polarization of focus? And I think perhaps what you're doing that I find really inspiring is that it is looking at specific issues and saying, hey, here are some actionable things that we can do. Yeah. Like taking out these dams that are providing very little economic benefit is going to completely rejuvenate this ecosystem, which is a priceless thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we've we've gotten to this stage where, you know, in life and society, you know, we don't necessarily think that our voice matters or that we're like empowered to take action or that that action, you know, will change things. And mm. I, I guess the like internal optimist in me just wants to be like, that's not true. <laughs> like, like we yeah, we have the ability um, you know, to change the world. And I, I always forget that Margaret Mead quote about small, a small group of people is the only thing that ever has, you know, working towards change. Uh, anyway, we'll have to look up. You'll have, have to voice over what that quote <laughs> oh, is. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I agree, though. I agree that we underestimate our abilities far, far more than overestimate. I think, I think when it comes to overestimation it's it's actually just lack of preparation but that's not indicative of ability yeah and i think that if we prepare and put in that time it's incredible what we can accomplish yeah 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 it's just and and envisioning like the possibility right instead of like closing to the opportunity that could exist like believing that it could happen right is that first step and then saying oh okay i believe that this could happen and I matter, and I can take action. I have this ability, like, my actions matter. I have the self-worth to believe that what I do makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think it's important to believe in that, like, because 
the butterfly effect is so powerful. Yeah. You have one meaningful conversation and who knows how that ripples out into the universe and, and inspires people to go on and do wonderful things in their own way. And then that just keeps going out. Like it, it's, it's kind of mind boggling yeah. actually. And I'm sure you get that a lot on your, you know, on your big adventures with people just, they can't, you know, and I've had that too on the source of seas is like people just can't quite comprehend that it's even like possible or they've never thought of thought that. of that or yeah. i mean even i was paddling i don't know almost or to see not quite on like the river y in the uk a couple years ago and people were like oh i come down and i do this like one stretch all the time like i never even thought about the possibility of paddling more of the river you know it's yeah. just there waiting you you can <laughs> exactly i know and i, I think it it's important to it, what what's wonderful one one thing that's wonderful is how it opens people up to be able to have those great conversations and connections and friendships and just magical moments you know that's how we were able to connect yeah and yeah. it that that is really special and then on top of that empowering people to say like you can do so much more than than you might than you could imagine right and it's just about um like being able to break free of like those limiting um, pressures and perspectives yeah. saying like, Oh, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you have to do. It's when you plan things far enough ahead yeah. and, and you just prepare it, you could do just about anything. Yeah. 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 Just putting your 10,000 hours of work. To yeah. Extra. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, but, I, but also like it can be, it can be simplified. I think. And then just trusting in your ability to rise to the challenges yeah. as they arrive. And I think like, yeah, like life is going to throw curveballs for sure. Like, always. Always. <laughs> but like, it's way better to be dealing with those curveballs, knowing that you're moving towards something that's really meaningful yeah. um, to you or to your community or to the region yeah. in some way where you know it's going to lead towards like a, a better future of some, of some sort. And if you, if you know that your mission is good and your heart's in the right place, like that is a, gives a lot of fuel. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, when you have that purpose, you know, it's just light, lighting that fire, lighting that spark or, you know, even that, that early vision, um, you know, when you first get the idea, like when an idea drops in and you're like, oh, I have this crazy idea. And you're kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a crazy idea. Huh? Let me... Let me lean into the possibility of that instead of being like, oh, that's a crazy idea. There's no friggin' way I can do that. You like embrace that curiosity and that explorers, you know, mindset, that beginner's mindset of being like, oh, can I like lean into this a little bit more and see what that spark is? And then you start like fueling, you know, that flame, right? Blowing on that flame and it starts getting bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden you have a fire that can really like propel you forward into into action that's exciting yeah I, I really like that that's so true and it's it's just interesting how we I think what happens something I've been thinking about recently is how we can um, limit ourselves by actually leaning into what we th we think are the things that we're good at mm -hmm. and not willing to become a, a beginner again yeah and branch out into new areas and relearn skills and learn new things and it's it's safe to be oh this is i'm building on something i already know 
Yeah. Or I'm just an expert in this. Yeah. Or or just to continue to do the things that you know because you know you're you're good at them compared to the average person yeah. in that specific way. But then like it's 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 almost more limiting because you could we're all so have so much potential yeah. to learn new things and by becoming a beginner you can make leaps and strides in new areas as well as enriching those things that you're already good at and that you already love yeah and it and that's a really challenging thing to do because i feel like you know as humans are like our default is we want to be safe and comfortable yeah right like we want to be safe and comfortable no one likes to be uncomfortable right or that you know that leading edge of growth which is very uncomfortable most of the time and so like how how comfortable can we become sitting in that uncomfortableness like it's almost like a muscle like can i can i train myself to to be okay or know that i'm going to be okay if I'm slightly uncomfortable and there's, you know, there's obviously ranges of that comfort level and everyone, everyone will be different in, in their tolerance or in their training of that. Um, well, that's, and that's the irony of being human in some ways that like we are so, we are such creatures of comfort, yeah. but we're also incredible at adapting to new things. Yeah. We're some of the best creatures at being able to adapt to new things when there's a catalyst. Yeah. And it's almost like how do we how do we move create more of those catalysts um, especially in an era where we almost at least in part some parts of the world we have maximum amounts of comfort yeah you know and, and distraction <laughs> too much too much comfort and distraction yeah for sure and I think I think actually yeah that, that going back to that you know we are also really good at the distraction part right to avoid being uncomfortable doing things that are hard you know like oh i'm just gonna watch netflix or i'm gonna scroll through social media because i'm actually feeling something right now that is very uncomfortable to like sit with and be with and feel and i don't know how to be with that and so i'm gonna actually just distract myself from that feeling altogether yeah yeah i mean that is that is, uh, I think, like, uh, you know what's interesting about, about that in particular is that I feel it is something that's innately human that we've done in various forms throughout human history. Like, if you look at, um, there's a picture that still resonates with me to this day where there's, like, a, a photo of uh, two groups of people on a bus, one in 2015 and another in 1915. And uh, in... 2015, of course, everyone is scrolling on their phones, not talking to one another. And then in 1915, everyone has their newspapers. <laughs> and so, like, I think that's, I think that is a great, it's a great um, perspective of just saying, like, okay, like, there's an element of human nature that we're trying to rise, trying to, to um, energize. Yeah. And, you know, that being said, things evolve. It's definitely more difficult, I think, now than 100 years ago yeah. uh, because of the incredible distraction devices devices we've created for ourselves. <laughs> so many distractions. Yeah. When you think about that, you know, I, one of the experiments I really like to do is, like, when you're standing in line 
right? That's a very like neutral thing to be doing, right? You're standing in line at the grocery store. It's not really comfortable. It's not really uncomfortable. You're just there sitting, sitting, you know, waiting. Mm. Um, but how often does it then become like a neural automatic patterning to go reach for your phone and fill that space? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, it becomes automatic. There. And so just tracking that of being like, you can feel it in your body, right? And if can you catch yourself as you like go to your phone to be like, oh, wow, I'm just actually going to not go for my phone. And I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to look around. I'm going to see other people. And you'll see everyone else being on their phone. But it's kind of a fun experiment to just be like, oh, I am, I am consciously choosing not to just fill this space with distraction because I'm uncomfortable not doing anything. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing, like, I, I think that those catalysts, whether that's mindfulness or what I've been experiencing is doing these adventures where there is an element of risk mm -hmm. and it, that viscerally puts you into the present moment yeah. as well, where I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow yeah. or next week. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know. And, and, and things have this magical way of working out when you're open to that process and you prepare and meet the universe halfway yeah. like that and you're open to people and have no expectations um and that you know that's what's allowed me to be talking to you today and and all the the wonderful times we've had in hood river over the last few days like that um in these events like it, it's it's incredible yeah it's incredible what is possible um but that catalyst definitely for me right now is that unknown yeah. like I don't know what's going to happen in the dangers I don't know uh where I, who I'm going to meet I have kind of a general guideline I, have, I feel like I have you know more or less my gear prepared and yeah. I've been building skills over the last you know while in my life yeah. since I don't know about four months old but, <laughs> you know it goes back a ways <laughs> and that is I think that is that is very powerful to be able to find those ways, whether, like you said, mindfulness or um, brought into the moment, realizing our mortality. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think like building that toolkit yeah. in some ways could really tap into the human potential in a whole nother way, whole nother level. Yeah. And I would add like the trust that things are going to be okay. You know, like yeah. I think that that deep belief that I believe you hold and I definitely hold of like, and it's going to be okay. Like, you know, it might not feel like it's okay at sometimes, but ultimately, you know, it's going to be okay. Or that, that belief that like the support you need is going to show up when you need it, or the connection is, is going to happen. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but like one of my favorite things about these sources and, and traveling is like, the kindness of strangers yeah you know it like it revitalizes my belief in the goodness of humans i i completely agree yeah i a hundred percent i've like restores my faith in humanity yeah for sure yeah and and it's uh yeah that um that ability to that ability to break down those barriers yeah when you realize like Oh man, like, and I've said this a few times, but strangers are just friends we haven't met yet. Yeah. yeah. And people want to help. Like, yeah. want to help. But I think that also goes back to like the inspiration 
that you provide like as an adventure or like on you know one of these sorts of seas as a conduit or a big trip as that conduit right that oh that is what opens the door because people you know are like whoa oh that is possible and oh my god they're doing this and they can and actually i can help them like i can now become a part of that experience by helping helping them and so there's there's sort of a buy-in of of ownership that happens um, which I think is also really cool. Yeah, like they become part of the journey. Yeah. And they're invested. They're it's, invested. It's, it's partly their journey now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that is that is really special. Like the journey becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Completely. Yeah, and uh, well, and that's, uh, and that's something that I think is, is very um, overlooked when um, we live in it, we live our daily lives and can get kind of locked into these transactional relationships of just saying, well, I work, I make money, and I pay for things. And while, like, for sure, that system has allowed us to, you know, build a lot and do a lot, there are these other ways of living and connecting with one another that are totally, uh, you know, out in, uh, that, that are totally, I wouldn't say even separate, but really are beating to their own drum. Yeah. Where that I think are ancient. Oh, absolutely. Like reciprocity and the campfire being able to have, well, like long form conversations like this, where that is something that really ties back to the roots of what it means to be human. Sharing stories, you know, sharing oral history around a campfire. Yeah. Trading and bartering for, Oh, I can play music and you can give me a ride somewhere, whatever it is, you know, and, and I think, yeah, we've, we've, unfortunately, most of humanity has lost touch with that in, in a, lot, a lot of ways, especially in a very consumeristic, developed society, I would say. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with um, that we can trade many forms of value. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether that's through storytelling or through art or through support or, or perspective or mindfulness or holding space, like, there's these priceless forms of value that go beyond the transactional monetary, you know, economies of e- economies of scale. scale. Yeah. <laughs> We're currently trapped in to some degree. Yeah. And we can, I think like it's trusting in that innate, those innate abilities that we have yeah. and allowing those to grow and flourish. Cause often I think we have, it's almost like parts of our brains are not only overdeveloped, but also like, over encouraged mm-hmm. to like focus on like very like like the problem solving just like well, looking viscerally at this specific you know situation of like how do I get this job done in this specific way and you're and you're looking at life within that box yeah. rather than recognizing that box is just like one small piece of a much greater multiverse of what it's possible to feel and experience and and what you can do with your life and that again to me brings down this like interconnected interdependence world that we live in right and so that exchange is always happening and we've just lost touch with that as we've siloed ourselves more and more into moving in a very linear linear direction instead of yeah. this circular interdependent world that we live in and that nature knows you know you talk about the value of things that are unquantifiable so to speak within 
um, you know, a Western society economy. And then you look at like, what is the value? Like, how do you quantify the value of nature? Right. And there's, there's a lot of work being done right now to try to quantify the value of nature just because we have to try to fit that into a system that we're currently living in, in order to help protect it. Mm. Um, But it's, you know, those unquantifiable moments, you know, paddling, you know, last night on a lake and watching the wind change and the sunset and the birds come out and the osprey swoop to, to, you know, get some fish. Like, how do you quantify that experience other than to know that it's highly valuable? Yeah. 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 uh, So true. And that that's where it's recognizing that we are like in a microcosm of like a very specific cultural time. And fortunately, it's a lot of people evolving through that. And we live in a time where people can, there's a multitude of different perspectives and a ways of, of breaking free of those dominant narratives, which I think like, it's not that they're inherently bad. It's just that there's so much more beyond that, that can be done and, and, and ways to live and connect with one another and, and, and to reduce that, um, the power of the parental peer and societal pressures. societal pressures when you're being bombarded by that all the time. Right. I mean, yeah, everything in society is saying you need to buy this. You are not worthy. If you don't buy this, you look this way, you got to look this way. You got to act this way. You got to have this. If you don't, you're an outcast. You're different. You don't belong. Like this is the way it works. And so getting those pressures all the time from so many different ways. I mean, it's, it's not an easy path, but it, but it's also an easier path. Yeah, that's true. And it's like, and fear is such a, is that can be such a difficult thing to break through. And I think that it, it has this, like, it has this ability to seem so daunting and, you know, just like, how can I possibly go out there and do these things that I want to do? Like, do I, you know, and, and the doubts and everything. But, but what I've found amazing in my life is every time that I've just taken that leap, and just said, you know what, I don't, I'm just got to believe in myself and just see what happens Mm -hmm. and just do it. Because even, even the act of, of going for it and really just fully going for it is a victory because there isn't just one path towards like a beautiful life or a beautiful, uh, outcome or opportunity. There's like a, and that really comes back to that abundance mindset. Like Realizing like you, you jump out in the unknown and if you have those intentions of wanting to do something wonderful that resonates with your heart and soul, there's so many ways that the universe can respond yeah. and people will connect to that. Yeah. It has a ripple effect. Yeah. And just, it just the opportunities of, of what it brings you, like just coming up this river and like, I'm just like, I want to connect with people through music and just meet amazing people in these towns and like time and time again, like I'll just like show up and then all of a sudden... The next day, I'm like playing music for like this, you know, group of group of new friends, like like 50 people or something. Like that, that is like it just it's puts magic. a smile. It's yeah, magic. It's magic. And last night, even like we went to the fireworks and uh, met up with some friends there, and then uh, I I saw some kiters that I'd help launch. I launched one of their kites when I was windbound in Viento State Park. 
And he's like, hey, man, it's good to see you again. And then I had my guitar, and then he's like, oh, yeah, like, play a song. And so they sit in the grass, and I just, like, start playing a song. And then all of a sudden, there's, like, 25 people are just, like, sitting in the grass, you know, just listening to me play. And then I'm, like, have this, like, little impromptu concert, like, telling stories. And just, like, everyone's from, you know, everyone's, like, an adventurous soul in Hood River and has these amazing stories. And we have this great group all of a sudden. Yeah. That just happens so organically. Right. And, and those are, those are the elements where like we can plan, it's good to plan and prepare and everything, but then there comes a point where it's like, you have to have that trust. Yeah. And you just, yeah, have to be willing. I mean, to me, it's always a return of like the, the, you know, following the wisdom of the river, right? Going with the flow and you can, I mean, you're going upstream, so it's a little different in this case. Going with the eddies. Going with the eddies that are going upstream. So you're going with the wind, you know, but like. You know, can you just be open to to follow the current a little bit and and have that receptivity for the opportunities when they present themselves? And you know, you mentioned fear, and I think again, going back to that, um, wanting to be safe and comfortable, right? The fear is a response to keep us. You know, it's a survival response, really, but it's part of our lizard brain. And then you know, there's a whole part of like the critic or the inner critic that comes in and and wants to stop you from leaning into that fear because it wants to keep you safe, right? Yeah. It wants to keep you safe and comfortable and within, within this confinement. With what you know. With what you know already. already, what you've learned. It'll, you know, it'll bring in all the examples of, okay, but remember when this happened and so you shouldn't try to do this. Yeah. Um, and so I think exactly what you were saying is like, can, can you trust, can you lean into that fear just a little bit to jump past that can you recognize when that that voice of fear you know is really like oh oh no like this is a danger like i'm being chased by a saber-toothed tiger type scenario or is it like oh is this actually just a voice in my head that that's not really true yeah and and that's where you're right and that's where like being able to override that like I, I really have found that I have to it's like I have to constantly relearn that yeah oh it's a constant it's a constant of being like you know and in mindfulness practice they they have the technique of you know almost thanking the fear for showing up and saying you know I appreciate you trying to have my back and stuff but um I'm I, gonna just put you on this shelf right now you're yeah. right there if I need you you know, to pull you down, but you're actually not being helpful right now. So I'm just, I'm just going to give us a little separation. Thank you for offering your help. And now I'm going to go in this other direction and do what, like, you know, my heart is pulling me towards. Yeah, that's so true. Like, and that's, and that's such an important, such an important ability. It's such an important skill to do that because like you, you can accomplish a project and like, you know, for me, like, go up and play some music for people and or I'll get out on the river have a great day and then you know you wake up and you're like oh man like you feel that resistance mm-hmm. yeah. resistance to like being like show up to a new town and be like I don't know anybody here yeah. what am I supposed to do and, and you're like even though in all the other towns you went through as soon as you open up good things happen it's like it's having to remember and like and continue to um establish those foundations and like and 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 remain grounded in that belief yeah because it really is a belief it is 
Because, yeah, you're right. Our brain is always trying to tell us, like, oh, stay with what you know. You could go back and go to those towns you already were spending time in. Yeah. Rather than, like, okay, chances are if I've been able to meet amazing people all the way from the ocean up to here, that there are more good people to come. Right. And most of them are actually good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd add to that, like, that it becomes a... a um you know, it's an exercise. It's like going to the gym, right? Yeah. You're doing your reps every time you every time you arrive in a town. You're doing your your workout. You know, against that resistance to overcome it, and that muscle will just you know just get stronger um, down the line. Yeah. So what are what are some things that since we're in this realm? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in this philosophical realm right now, what are some things that have really helped you? achieve your dreams and goals well they're constantly evolving so i don't know that i've achieved all my dreams and goals yeah the ones that um, so far so far uh the ones i've followed through i mean i think it is it's leaning into the curiosity and that beginner's mindset of like you have an idea like i'll have an idea or a spark of something and then i just start leaning further and further into that and then all of a sudden I'll just like, no, I'll be like, oh, right. Okay. That's, that's going to happen. You know, and you just know. And then once, once, you know, you're, it's just, you're, you're in it, you know, yeah. for, for better or for worse, but you're just like, that's happened with a lot of my trips. It's like, oh, starting to feel around the edges of it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right. I can see what exactly what's, what's going to happen to a degree of, of you have that happens. foundation, those foundational stones. Yeah set in place where you see that like the soul or the core of the mission has the, you can build and tweak it but it's it's there yeah yeah or just like my soul is just like i have to be a part of this in some way to complete whatever journey needs to happen or whatever lessons i need to learn you know along the way and you and and that just happens time and time again like that idea will drop in or someone else will have an idea and all of a sudden it's like oh i mean that happened with the mississippi is like i got a little involved and then one of the paddling partner people who was supposed to paddle dropped out. And so I actually jumped on that trip like a month before, mm. but I kind of knew I was going to be on that trip. Like as soon as I started helping get involved with that campaign, that intuition is really amazing. Cause I, I felt that where like you meet people and then within like an hour, you're like, Oh yeah, they're a good friend. Yeah. Like we could have known each other for five years. Right. Right. That, and that's that's just incredible how that can happen. Or like you said, like you have that you see something that you could be part of, and then all of a sudden, you're there, you're in it. Yeah. Like it's there's no question. Yeah. Like That's happening. Yeah, and it doesn't mean the journey there or through doesn't have challenges. Is easy or it doesn't have <laughs> challenges. Yeah. But it is like oh, this is just how I'm going to spend the next section of my life, um, and if I don't spend this next section of my life doing that like I, I feel like my soul would would have felt empty I really felt that when it came to this journey because mm -hmm. I think I was I was really locked in with grad school and with just living in North Vancouver and these last couple of years especially with COVID it's sort of limited and simplified things and it doesn't mean I wasn't going out on trips and having adventures but it's it's hard to, um, it's hard to, when you know, like I've done 
some you know significant trips uh, from the past, like bicycle across the United States, canoe the Mississippi, like you did. And once you've done those kind of journeys, and you realize what the amount of growth that that offers, and the amount of amazing connection to the land and to people and communities, it's it's so hard to um, be away from that. Yeah. Like trying to find a way to make that a part of your life. Um, and I think that there's ways to do that locally as well, of course. Um, but if you have that, that traveler's, you know, energy. The nomadic spirit. Yeah. And I, so I'm really inspired by how you have found a way to do that with an, like tying in these other things that are meaningful to you with your, um, with the conservation and having this NGO and, and, uh, and, and bringing in all kinds of other partners that can believe in these, in these greater, um, these greater missions towards, you know, rejuvenating ecosystems. Like that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. And I would say just reconnecting people to nature. Yeah. On just that fundamental level. On that fundamental level, something that I feel like we've just lost so much of, um, and, and, you know, and I have to work towards that as well, like finding those little moments where I can, can just connect to the beauty that is around us all the time in the natural world. And yeah. these trips really heighten that opportunity. Yeah. Well, and you know, and there's never going to be like a perfect time to do anything. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, there's never a perfect time to, you know, fight for a meaningful cause or to... No, there is a perfect go, time right now oh. to take action <laughs> against breaching the forest. Yes, <laughs> right. But I mean like, not, but the time is now. The time you know? is now. That's right. what I yeah, mean. Yeah, like, okay. in a sense that like, Yes, now is the perfect time. <laughs> now is the perfect time to make a change and to do what you love. Yes. Yeah, and it's uh, and I just really felt that for this trip is like I knew that this was the time, and a lot of other things in my life were not necessarily prepared. Even though like I had you know it was like okay I'm preparing for this journey, but then when the moment came, it was like oh I could, I could be better. I could have this figured out a little bit more. I could be more ready in this way, and. It's just, it said, no, like, I have to do it. Yeah. There comes a point where you can only prepare so much. Yeah. Until you really have to. You have to jump. You have, have to that take trust. that leap and trust. Yeah. That you, and, and try, you know, it's like skydive. I mean, I'm not a skydiver and I have no desire to be, but, you know, at <laughs> first, like, you know, you run off the cliff and then you have to just trust that you're going to actually be able to fly. Um, and know, yeah. know deep, deep in your soul that you can fly. You know, flying might not look exactly, you know, might not be a nice, nice glide. Yeah. Like a little bit of fall. I found when fun. I did it, you kind of turn into like a inverted banana. Because <laughs> the <laughs> wind is blowing so heavily. You're just you're like. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was very weird. Like your brain is like, I don't think we're supposed to do this. Yes. You're like, oh no, it's okay. Oh, I had that experience bungee jumping. I was never, I was like, this goes against every survival instinct in my entire body. And yeah. I, I did not enjoy that experience. I understand that some people do. But <laughs> not you probably me. felt good when your feet were back on the ground, <laughs> yes, though. Yes, exactly. When they picked me up in the raft at the bottom of the river, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and so you, um, you also said, like, you've done a bunch of education as mm-hmm. well. So what? So, yeah, so I um, went back as a mature student to get my MBA in environmental management, and I went over to Wales to do that, because you can get 
a master's in a year. Um, and I thought, well, that's a good timeline to, to get a master's. Totally. Um, and I just had a beautiful experience going back to school. And I, I got to really solidify, you know, the goal of that was, was very much to help solidify a lot of the self-taught knowledge that I'd created while forming and running a nonprofit for, I don't know, like eight years at that point. Um, and I was like, oh, but I'm curious, like what formal education, you know, will provide. And, and it was just so fun to be like learning again. And um, especially being over in Europe, like their approach to things is, potentially a little less consumeristic than America and I really enjoy that being being around that and being it's like okay. you don't yeah. need to own a car you can I didn't own a car for three years like it was four years now I you know it was so nice to be able to walk around and get to a train and you're like oh this will take eight hours but that's just the norm like you you, you don't you don't resist it because that is the option that is what other people do so there's like a socially uh, motivated behavior around that um and then the, you know the theater and the culture i love over there but in terms of you know learning more about environmental policy about waste um, about circular economies linear economies um, you know, it was really great to be able to expand that knowledge a little bit more. Deep dive into plastics and polymers and different types of, of that yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And I and I've I've talked about this on a previous podcast, but data is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like having good data to build around those qualitative, like you know, fundamentally human, or build with in conjunction with yeah. those fundamentally human emotions and and energies that allow for communities to come together and allow for movements to come together. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, both are so important, the qualitative and the quantitative. And the quantitative. And I think really to also have, you know, people are drawn more to one or the other. So if you're trying to explain something or create a better not even a better, but create more understanding around something, being able to have the data for those data people who really want to lean into that and having those qualitative experiences for people who really want to lean into that provides, again, just a more holistic, um, you know, view of something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's been so great talking with you and i just want to just i want to uh um just i just really appreciate how you have really put so much into these projects and i can tell it's a herculean amount of effort and work to create an adventure like this and manage it and bring in the sponsorships and and bring in uh the press and and to really create a like really create a movement and help push forward a movement of conservation and protection of wild places and rejuvenation of wild places and uh, I really uh, as a kindred traveler spirit I I really appreciate how you overlap all of these things and bring together all these things that you're passionate about and I do think like that creates its own special magic. 
Thanks. It's been really wonderful to get to meet you the last couple of days and yeah, share some wonderful stories and yeah, I appreciate having you chat with me. Yes. Well, the adventure continues. It sure does. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for talking with me. Thanks so much, Troy. Okay. So one last question. Okay. And this is something I ask all my guests on my show. And that is if you had one year left to live, what would you do and why? Oh my God, there's so many things. <laughs> well, part of me would just continue to live the life that I live because it is very nomadic and free. Um, but in terms of like specific goals and adventures, there's a great quote about, you know, if, if you were to die tomorrow, what, what are the ghosts that would hang around you that would like haunt you in your you know, those unfinished projects. Hmm. And for me, some of those ghosts and those unfinished projects are um, writing a children's book series about these two little creatures, um, a rubber duck and a tiger that go with me on all my adventures. Uh, and I've really been wanting to, to birth that project into the world. And I feel like if I only had, had a year, I would need to to birth that project of, of Izzy's adventures, tying in all these adventure and conservation stories for the younger generation to just inspire them to get outside and, and connect to nature um, and, and take action to protect these places. Oh, man. I love that. I love that. And that's a reminder to me that I need to get my own little spirit animal Yes, you need a totem. Mascot. You need a mascot. You definitely need a mascot. Yeah, mascots are great. Yeah, and, and how did you discover yours? Oh, so Izzy, both of them actually were given to me, I think, in like high school by a fellow river guide. We were in between um, guiding on, on rogue river trips in Oregon, and we'd always sort of go to the thrift stores. And, and um, yeah, my Uncle Roger came back with some toys, and I think he had, like, a Godzilla and a Barbie for the front of his boat, and then he gave me um, a rubber duck and a little tiger, and that duck has, yeah, been towed behind raft after raft and kayak after kayak and oh. gone on gone on a lot of adventures, seen a lot of things, and is a great connector coming into town. I mean, especially for kids, they're always like, I love your duck. Oh man! Well, it's a good thing that they they float. It's a good thing they float. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah. So I think birthing that project. I think um, there's definitely some more travel um, that I'd want to do. I've always had a dream of riding across the country on horseback. So. Oh, that, that would, would be really cool. That might take a lot of the year, but uh, that would be pretty pretty epic to do that. Um, and then, a secret desire would be. Um, I love British theater and I have a background as a classically trained actor and um, I would love to be on a masterpiece theater show. Oh man. And those, yeah. like doing those three things. Oh, and, and finding an executive director to carry on my legacy of Rivers for Change. That sounds like you've got more than a year of things <laughs> you'd like to do before you die. I'd have to be very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> well... It sounds like these are things that you're already wanting to do and you're on track to doing. So yes. it's going to be very exciting to see how you how this unfolds. And I will definitely buy a copy of that book when Excellent. it comes out. Excellent. You'll, you'll have to write your own version too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'll add 
I'll add an addition. <laughs> add an additional. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll so let you good. know when I find my mascot. Okay. And then we'll Please go from there. Do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, best of luck with this endeavor. I'm, I'm really impressed and inspired by what you guys are doing. And uh, I will be thinking about it as I continue to canoe up the Columbia. And I hope to see... I hope to see success and that these dams can be breached and that there will be rejuvenation of the salmon and the ecosystem. That would be really beautiful. It would, yeah. Safe travels. Paddles up. That's right. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Journey to the Heart podcast. For regular updates about my canoe journey across America, my music and other creative projects, be sure to check out my Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube pages at Torlokes and Tornlokes. Don't forget the silent H. You can also follow my journey and join my mailing list at www.tornlokes.com.